You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning, everyone, and good to see some of you again that we haven't seen before. So, again, welcome back. Good to be here. Good to sing together. This is what we've been missing and the fellowship and to hear God's word proclaimed through all your voices and and uh, gathered together. So again, we're grateful. You can turn. We are going to Philippians today. We're going to Philippians 3 today. So you can begin turning there to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 2 through 6 today. And uh, we'll be camped out here for a little while, a couple weeks at least. But um, I'll read 1 through 11 today, and as you're getting to Philippians, we've got a couple pictures from last week. I took Micah's pictures from last week. So Micah's got two he sent in. See if you can see those. He's got the idols, because we were reading from Isaiah 40 last week and comparing the idol to what we even sang this morning, to behold our God again. Who can compare with him? And so idol versus God. And then there's another, yeah, and then there's the, I think us believers running to the king, get the crown, right, Mike? Okay, yeah, running to the king. What a great picture. Thanks for showing us, Mike. That's where we need to go. That's who we need to run to. So appreciate you getting that out. Kids, if you found, I think the clipboards are still back there. If you need one, draw pictures. Just if I'm talking to somebody, hand it to me, put your name on it. That really helps me. And uh, adults, those are, again, my, my plea, re- you're going to remain anonymous. But if you have a drawing knacked, go ahead and do that and uh, be part of drawing out what you're hearing through the sermon, through the Word of God. So hopefully you're at now Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read just verses 1 through 11, kind of get the scope of the whole um, the whole passage here, but then again, specifically today, 2 through 6. So just to back up one verse, Philippians 3, verse 1, we'll start. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me pray for us again. Father, again, we, we come to you to these ancient words 
that you have preserved, Lord, through martyrs, through the death of your saints throughout the ages to see that this word would would even be printed into our language, that we could read this for ourselves. And so we thank you for the word before us. And Lord, we pray as we come to it again, Lord, that your spirit would reveal through your particular word here and where we're at, you would reveal who you are, the greatness of our salvation, the bankruptcy of trusting in our flesh and the wasted uh, time that is. And Lord, would you lead our eyes to Christ again, our Savior, our King, our righteousness, our plea before you, the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin. So we pray you guide our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, with all the news occurring in these days, you might not be aware of something, an event going on, unless you're a postal postman, postwoman. Uh, actually, this week, June 14 through 20, this particular week, it's the United States Postal Service's National Dog Bite Awareness Week. Like the timing is just perfect. And I, even not, I didn't put off last week to get to this week, but Caleb, I've got a picture. Here's the bulletin. It's National Dog Bite. It's coming up. Today it starts. So I know it's Flag Day, and, and it's also National Dog Bite. So they've got their phrase, be alert. Prevent the bite. Uh, I didn't know there was such a thing, but the problem's so big. This is an annual thing. So some of you maybe know this. Maybe you've celebrated it yearly. Uh, if you're a post, postal person, you're going to, yeah, I think you're going to be in on this. Here's what they say. Uh, from nips and bites to vicious attacks, aggressive dog behavior poses a serious threat to our employees. To emphasize the enormity of this issue, the Postal Service is reporting the number of dog attacks and bites together as the most prominent threat to carriers. Last year, 5,803 Postal Service employees were victimized by dogs. And it says, another insurance journal, this is from 2017, but I just thought it was interesting. Dog bites and other Dog-related injuries accounted for more than one-third of all homeowners' liability claim dollars. Dog bites are a serious thing, and they're so serious, the Postal Service is going to dedicate a week to preventing them. And I know we kind of laugh, but it is. I mean, if you've been bitten by a dog, you're not, you're not like, I wasn't laughing at the moment. Um, it's serious, serious threat. Well, Paul, in a similar way in our text... He's echoing the Postal Service. Maybe he would declare his own National Dog Bite Awareness Week for Christians. We could call it that for now, for today. And Paul sees a danger here for the church at Philippi. He wants the people of God to be ready, to be prepared. Be be alert, you could say. Prevent the bite. He wants them to be on guard, to look out, beware. There's a greater There's a greater danger, yet more, I think, subtle than nipping canines. And it's the ever-present danger for believers to put their confidence of salvation in the flesh rather than in Christ. So let's look again. Let's look in our text. If you'll join me back in verse 2, let's look again to this first verse that Paul writes here. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Three times repeated. Look out, look out, look out. There's emphasis here. There's warning here. Paul's commanding them, do something. Use your eyes to see. Hear with your ears. What are they teaching? Understand the message that's being brought by these dogs, evildoers, mutilators of flesh. It's dangerous. And so our first question here is, who, who are these? Who are the dogs? Not who let the dogs out, but who are the dogs? I just had to throw that in there. But who are, who are these people, the evildoers? And, and again, Paul doesn't just say, this is who I mean, but he kind of lays it out here. I believe Paul, and, and what many, I think most all, believe, this is a group of Jewish influencers, a group of Jewish influencers. What is not clear, at least to me, some commentators, this, it's this and this, what's not clear to me is the specific group of Jewish people that Paul has in mind. Let me um, explain that a little bit. Many writers here, commentators, uh, majority, I think, really, of what I saw, they see this group as Judaizers. Have you ever looked into or thought about what makes a Judaizer different than just maybe your traditional Orthodox Jew? It's a Jewish group that would profess Christ. So Christ was part of their profession. Now, whether they were true believers or not, that's left to be a question. But they at least professed Christ, but they would also insist on their own Jewish ways, insist on becoming a Jew, like circumcision. You must be circumcised, that idea. And you must be circumcised in order to be truly saved. It was a sort of Christ plus message. Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus the Jewish law. Okay, then there's salvation. But another commentator I read would see this more as traditional, the traditional Jewish person who didn't even, wouldn't even acknowledge Christ as Messiah. I'm thinking the more, maybe if we use the term, the more orthodox Jew. The problem here is that it's just hard to lump all the Jews together in the same group. I mean, we kind of want to do that. We say all Jew. We think of them maybe all the same at this time. But there are different um, spectrums here of where they're at. There's, there's some that held on to Christ, I think, exclusively for salvation, all the way to those that held no belief in Christ and just held to the law. And then there's this in-between. But within all the, there's this tension of law, keeping the law, and the merits of Christ in this tension. But for Paul here, we're just not given more detail. What we can be firm on is that whatever the specific Jewish group, Paul is using strong words to describe them, isn't he? These are not like, I think they're kind of, you might just keep an eye out, kind of be careful. They're not kittens, they're dogs, he calls them. And what they teach presented such a danger that Paul would call them these words, these dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. Well, what about these names, this name, these dogs, evildoers? What about this? Uh, one writer, Walter Hansen, I've referred to him before, refers to them as Judaizers, those that the Jewish professing Christians, at least, whether or not they were truly of Christ, we don't know. He says this. Now, I, I don't normally put quotes up here, but it's so long. I've got it. 
Whether you can read that or not, I don't know, but it's there. Uh, just listen in. It's a little longer, but listen to his description, kind of help us get a picture of maybe what Paul has in mind with the groups here. He says, the derogatory names given to these adversaries mask and at the same time reveal their true identity. Although Paul puts dog masks on them, the terms clearly point to their Jewish identity. Paul's contrast between mutilation and the true circumcision and his boasting of his own Jewish privileges indicate that these people evidently exalted the importance of circumcision and boasted of their Jewish credentials. Although they were posing as Christian teachers, they placed their emphasis on belonging to the Jewish people. They heaped scorn upon those outside the Jewish family by calling them by traditional Jewish names for outsiders, dogs, and evildoers. Did you catch that? These are traditional names, traditional Jewish names for those outside uh, uh, Israel or Jewishness, dogs, and evildoers. Now Paul turns the tables on them and calls them by the same derisive names that they have used for those whom they have excluded. In this satirical twist, Paul gives them a bitter taste of their own poisonous prejudice. We in 2020, we see dogs, which is why it's hard for us to understand. We see them as adorable. We just had puppies, right? They're, they're cute and they're dogs. And, and most, many of us have pet dogs, man's best friend. But that was not the case primarily. I don't think it was all across the board, but primarily in this day, that is not how they saw dogs. One writer described them as the, the most despicable, insolent, miserable of creatures. I saw somewhere the word to describe them as scavengers. Maybe, maybe it kind of brought to mind the street dog uh, that maybe you would see in other countries. And this is how some of the Jews would speak of those outside, the Gentiles. So Paul, again, to quote Hansen, he's turning the phrase, turning the tables on them here. Paul even calls them evildoers or workers of evil, which kind of brings up a question then, what kind of evil were they doing? What kind of ev- if he's calling them evildoers, were they evildoers like like the Jewish circumcision party is saying that he's calling them murderers or they're lying or stealing or there's some sort of sexual immorality going on. Is that what he has in mind of evildoer? I want to propose I don't think it's that kind of evil. The evil work here, I believe, I think it was to take one whom Christ had died for and to make them a slave again to the works of the law to take them away from Christ. You ever thought about that as evil? To steer somebody away from the glorious meritous work of Christ to something else, to the flesh, to confidence and circumcision or whatever it was, was, I think, a certain sort of evil. I think Paul gives us a glimpse of this in Galatians chapter 5. Do you want to go there? It's just a little bit before Philippians. If you turn back, left a little bit in your Bible, it's one of two places we'll go today, but Galatians 5 verses 2 through 6. The Galatians here, they too are dealing with those who would add law to the gospel to make it a different gospel. So look at Galatians 5. Look at 
how Paul kind of describes this pulling away and think of these words in terms of what we're thinking about in Philippians 3, 2 of evildoers. He says this. I'll read just verses 2 through 6. There's more here, but look, Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. What's the influence? The influence on these Galatians, that influence of circumcision, Christ is going to be of no advantage to you. You're going to be severed from Christ, fallen away from grace. And that's the influence of preaching Christ plus law for our justification, our righteousness. And it was evil in a way that it severs us from the glorious work of Christ. Is there work to do? I'll just throw in, is there work to do? Yes. James talks about that. Faith without works is dead. There is, but it's on account. It's fruit of what Christ has done. It's not the basis to get us there, to get us to God or our salvation. And so the danger is the shift maybe subtle, maybe in our own lives, to rely on self or deeds or the law rather than a full reliance on Jesus Christ. Okay, back to Philippians 3 then. There's one more phrase. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Lastly, Paul, he describes them as these dogs. They're mutilators of the flesh. Now, I'm not getting into details. In fact, but instead of, instead of, for these, instead of real heart circumcision, instead of that, they're just simply cutters of the flesh. They may have the outward, the physical sign of circumcision, but they're not the true circumcision of Christ. And so just to know, before we look at verse 3, we as a church, we must be aware to threats to the gospel that not come from outside. Maybe sometimes those are just... They're just easier to see. It's what comes from from within the church as a whole, as a large body. And because it's from within, it makes it just more dangerous. It's more subtle. Perhaps Christ is replaced by a focus merely just on the experiences of worship. I felt this way in worship. This did something, that, that warm feeling. And we should be joyful and exuberant and beholding our God and worshiping. That's not the basis of our faith. It's Christ. Or perhaps there's an emphasis on prosperity. What does God have for me? That's where the emphasis lies. Or maybe even there's just a list of things. This is what Christians do. This is what they don't do. Hear me closely on that. There are things, but we're looking, we're concerned about things from a biblical standpoint because there are things that Christians preferences, convictions that they disagree about. And maybe we want to make those. That's the thing. I don't know if you're a Christian if you do fill in the blank. 
there's threats, and the threats shift us away from Christ alone. Well, look at verse 3, because now the turn comes. Verse 3, 4. For, Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I think this phrase, for we are the circumcision, this is pivotal here. Hinging here, changing from the dogs, the evildoers, to now who is the true circumcision. So physical circumcision performed on the Jewish males, the eighth day, that was the mark of your identification as a Jew. It's that act. It identified you. You're the part of the people of God, the sign of the covenant between God and his people. But Paul counters now verse 3 and says, we are the circumcision. Who is Paul writing to? The church at Philippi, a, not a Jewish colony, a Roman colony, Gentile Roman colony. He's brought up Epaphroditus. Remember that name, kind of a sketchy name? These considered outsiders, perhaps by the Jews and dogs by some. Now Paul describes these circumcised in three ways. So this circumcision, this is the true, the heart, those in Christ. What are those like? And he describes them in three ways. So we're going to look at at each of these for we are the circumcision. And then he just kind of lays it out in three parts here. And we'll start with those who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, there's a counter to the dogs, even though it was mutilated. It's those who worship by the Spirit of God. To understand that, I just want to flip one more place to John chapter 4. Would you go to John 4? Just flip back again. John 4, verse 21. These aren't the only places where we would think. I'll bring up some other references. You can write those down. We won't be going everywhere. John 4, we'll look at verse, we'll start in verse 21, but remember here, context, Jesus, he's with a Samaritan woman, not, you know, not full-blooded Jew here, Israelite. This is a Samaritan woman at the well, John 4. And he tells her in the midst, you know, of this watering place, this, wa- this, this well, that he, he's got the true living water to give. That's what Jesus tells her. And then the discussion leads to places of worship. Places of worship. Is it this mountain, Mount Gerizim for the Samaritans, or is it for the Jews, Jerusalem? Is that where? Look at, look at verse 21. This is what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's not about the mountain, the physical place. True worship is not physical. It's in the spirit. Spirit, I think God's spirit working in our hearts. It's in truth. Who's the way, the truth, and the life? It's in Christ. 
Paul would say in another place, Romans 2, 28, 29, says, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So whether you be an ethnic Jew, a Samaritan, Arabic, uh, Hispanic, black, white, etc., if by the Spirit you are in Christ, then you are the people of God. So the physical act of the flesh, the, the family you're born into, doesn't make you a child of God. Jesus says this. I think it was in one of the songs we were singing even. John 6, he says, John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. We worship by the spirit of God, not by our own flesh and our own works. All right, back to Philippians 3 then. And this second description by Paul. Those who are of the true, we are the circumcision. Those, it is those who glory in Christ Jesus. They glory where? Where is the object of the glory, the end point of the glory? Christ Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Galatians 6, verse 13 through 15. He says this, and it's interesting because there's the same word that he uses in here that he uses for for glory in Christ, you could say, we're the ones, we boast in Christ. We don't boast in our flesh. We boast in Christ. Kind of same wording of glory. Here's what he says in Galatians 6. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast. There's the word, same word as we've got here in Philippians 3, uh, 3 glory. Far be it from me to boast or glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. The glory, the confidence, the joy truly is found in Christ Jesus. He's the object of worship, the object of praise. So those who glory in Christ, they worship by the Spirit, they have no room to glory in the flesh. And so Paul says in the last part of verse 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. This message of joy, to re- even verse 1, to rejoice in the Lord, It's to glory in Christ. It's not to rest in what we have done. And that goes against kind of maybe even our our natural, this 50-50 plan. I'll I'll do this for God. If I do this and go this way, he's going to do this for me. We'll work it out, kind of this plan, contract. And I think at the heart of it, it's, it's blasphemous, really, isn't it? Because we reduce what God's done. We reduce his work on the cross through Christ to simply kind of a merit for our life. I I did this so well. Don't I deserve something for this? No. God, what has God done? He sought us out. He's opened our eyes, our heart. He's renewed us in his spirit. He's revealed Christ to us. Even we we looked in Philippians 2, 
Um, for us to obey, remember, obey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, I got to work, yes, but, verse 13, God is the one working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think, and it's a struggle for us to, to, to work hard. We want to do this thing, this contract thing with the Lord. But to get our minds around this, to embrace truly, to not put confidence in Mike Croker or in your who you are, but to put it squarely on Christ. It is so liberating to us. It is the gospel. It is the good news. Your access to the Father of lights, to this Jesus who is king, to the indwelling spirit, it is not reliant upon you and your works. And it's not God, but it's Satan who would accuse us of our inability to come into God's presence. You ever been accused like, I don't don't have any reason. Maybe that's sometimes how you feel coming to church. I don't, that place, we've got to sing and God's holy and, and there's this week in my life and and we should confess those things and, and even repentance gives glory to God. But to not let Satan accuse us before him, to, let, to understand what Christ has done, to worship by his spirit, to glory in Christ. And so as Paul can say, put no confidence in the flesh. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 6 because this is kind of just an aside, kind of Paul's just self-reflection here on his reasons. I mean, he's got, if anybody's got reasons, he's got them to have confidence in the flesh. So just look at 4 through 6 again. Paul says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. I mean, if anyone else thinks he's got reason for confidence of flesh, I have more. Now we see this Jewish flavor here circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, not just a Hebrew, but a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. What about zeal? I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, I've, I've got the pedigree. I've, I, I've got the pedigree of, an, of a righteous man that outshines all of you. If anyone has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I listed some of them for you. But as we're going to see, gloriously, verse 7, verse 8, he counts it a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's, and we're not surprised in this book, are we, of Paul, to live as Christ. That's his, where his eyes are at. Almost, you might say, fixed on Christ. So next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 7 through 8. And again, like I said, we're going to be here a little while. We're going to take this kind of slow. We're going to chew on this great feast before us to think about, again, our relationship with the Lord. And I hope we come out of even this section more in love with a Savior who is not ours. He's not our Savior because of works of our own flesh because we did something, we mutilated the flesh, we did it this way, we attended so many times, all these sorts of things. But it's his grace and his love that we simply receive by faith. Let me just end with this in this National Dog Bite Prevention Week. Uh, The Postal Service gives some tips to avoid dog bites. I'll just read a few. 
you can see if these tie in. I'm not trying to tie them in. Here's some tips. Uh, if a dog threatens you, don't scream. You could do that. So uh, avoid eye contact. Try to ma- remain still until the dog leaves and then turn back slowly until the dog is out of sight. Uh, another tip, don't approach a strange dog, especially one that's tethered or confined. Good to keep in mind. If a dog is about to attack, this one might have some tie-ins. Try to place something between yourself and the dog. Uh, Christ, the Word of God, I don't know, uh, such as, and they say, a satchel, backpack, or bicycle. You know, put the mail. If your mail has a tooth mark in it, then you know your postman paid attention to this. I'm not sure, although, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I can tie in each of their t- No, I can't. But in the same vein, I want to leave you with just three, three out of probably others, three ways to look out. How do we guard our own hearts? How do we guard against this confidence in the flesh and not in Christ? So a few dog bite prevention tips, if you will, three of them here. Number one, they all begin with guard. Guard who or what you listen to. Guard who or what you listen to. I want you to consider, each of us, consider what it is or who it is you listen to. Discern as you listen to your favorite radio teacher or TV preacher. I mean, we're all, all the preachers, we're all over Facebook now and YouTube and everywhere. Even your own pastor. Beware of what you listen to and if it or he or she promotes Christ or the flesh. I want to state this boldly, maybe for the sake of this point. You should highly consider firing me if I am preaching a confidence in the flesh. Or you should at least face a confrontation and say, Mike, I hear you. I don't hear Christ in what you're preaching. I want to be accountable to that and be renewed in a conviction because it's easy. And I would just ask you, pray for me, pray for your elders as we teach and lead because it's easy to come to Scripture and make some moral teachings out of it. You should do this, and it's just a better way to kind of live your life. It's some, some tips for just living without a focus on Christ. And I, as you, we are prone to focus on the flesh. What have I done lately for the Savior? Instead of saying, he's done it all for me, am I living in light of that? To look to him. So be cautious. Guard what you hear, no matter where it is. Make sure you're hearing, along with that, hearing from God's word, that you personally are reading and getting into God's word. Men, this summer, starting in a couple weeks, June 24th, we're going to be studying, I think, uh, the book of Jeremiah, just to help us be in the Word of God. I don't understand all of Jeremiah, but we're going to study it together and learn together and be in the Word. I would encourage you, grab a notebook, grab a two-year Bible plan, and begin today. Don't start in January. Just start wherever you're at and be in the Word. So you're not hearing man's ideas. Learn to be good, I guess on the dog theme, be good smellers. Sniff out Reliance on the flesh. You go, that seems kind of like we're just trusting in flesh instead of Christ. 
All right, number two, so guard what you listen to. Number two, guard what you say. Guard what comes out of your mouth. So be alert yourself for being one of the dogs yourself, an evildoer who draws people away from Christ to trust in the works of flesh. As I need to be careful in what I preach, so be careful in what you proclaim as the way of Christ. Listen to Paul. He says this, and we should emulate Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So be those who naturally give off the scent of Christ and not the scent of self-righteousness. And then number three, so guarding what we listen to, guarding what we say, just thinking about guarding our own heart. Guard your heart against any self-reliance or confidence. Do not rely on your upbringing, your activity for the Lord. You, you may have taught, you may have, are teaching or have taught Sunday school. You may maybe have been heavily involved in the church or doing Christian things. Maybe your parents were Christians. You tithe, you give regularly. You even have, I have a quiet time every day. Be careful, be careful that you not place your Christian confidence, your confidence in the Lord in those things, in that, those things. They're good for us. It is good to, to work. It is good to teach Sunday school and to be here and to read the Bible every day. And I'm, I'm imploring you to do that, but to not rely on that and say, God, my day will probably go well because I had this time. Or because I didn't have this time, my day went really horrible. It does affect us. We should read the Bible. But our confidence before the Lord is in Christ, not in what we've done to earn God's favor. That your confidence not rest that you go to Bethany Bible Church but it's you run past the dogs of the flesh into the arms of Christ to put your full confidence in the work of Christ on the cross to save you fully and completely. Maybe today is that day you do this for the first time. I've been trusting in my flesh to save me, to make me righteous or somewhat presentable before God. It's Christ alone. Maybe today you need to acknowledge I've replaced Christ and the glory of the cross by trusting in my week, what I've done, my own flesh and ability. Let me pray for you. Father, it is, I, it's subtle and Satan is crafty to accuse us. Lord, may our only boast be Christ. His death, his atoning work on the cross, that's the payment that washes me clean from sin. That's the blood. He's the righteousness, not me. It's his resurrection. He's the new life. And if I'm in him, I've got new life. Lord Jesus, may you be the object of our glory. And Lord, be there places within our own hearts that have stolen that glory to to at least place a little bit in what we've done 
Lord, convict us mightily that we would be a church that when people show up here, they go, I smell Christ here. This is a people dependent fully, 100%, 150% on Christ and not on the flesh. May we be that kind of people. Gather together then to proclaim the glories of your name alone. We ask in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.